Yeah, amen. Okay, grab a seat at your campus everywhere. Big shout out. Big, come on, let's give it up for the people that just read scripture at every campus. Awesome, 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 awesome. I hope um, some of you, some of you are probably like so, so, so excited. You're like, man, I really hope they ask me. And then some of you probably like throw up in your mouth every time you see somebody on stage. Anybody just horrified of public speaking? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Everybody hit their hand raised. Look, we're gonna ask them to come up and read scripture and no, hey, welcome. Hey, we're in our uh, third week, yeah, of high school, middle school fuse. And just to give everybody a quick update, the first week there was a, um, a hurricane down at the coast. So Charleston and Hilton Head and Myrtle couldn't be with us. And so they've been with us for the last couple of weeks. And man, I, I don't know how it's going at every campus or actually that's not true. I know exactly how it's going at every campus um, because I get to look at the numbers and everything. And I'm just telling you, it's going amazing at every campus. It's been super cool to see a ton of people get involved. A lot of new people a lot of people who haven't been involved in a while have come back. Uh, a lot of moms and dads are really excited. I mean, no, so I know it's kind of, you know, it's kind of funny when you're in high school to like, you know, oh, middle schoolers. Uh, but realistically, just to give you, give them a chance to kind of make fun of you a little bit, um, some moms and dads of young people are afraid to drop their 12-year-olds off at, like, to hang out with high schoolers. And they should be, because I hang out with some of you, and, you know, it just kind of is what it is. So we've had a lot of middle school parents that are super stoked to be able to drop their kid off and feel good about them not hanging out with, like, grown-ups all the time. So anyway, it's just been really cool. It's been really exciting to just see how it's kind of developing. And I'm just really, I'm really stoked. I've been to a, a few different high school fuses and high school environments, and it seems like you guys are really starting to own this space. You're really starting to kind of step into your own a little bit and figure out, you know, this is your ministry. And we're going to kind of do it and put it on, and we're going to do our best to organize it and stuff. But like, just getting somebody to read a scripture for you is like the very, very tip of the iceberg of what we plan to do. Like, we want this to be your ministry. We want this to be the place where you get encouraged by people your age that are doing the things of God in your spaces and you see them. And does it just always feel like you're coming to hear somebody older than you tell you what you should be doing that they probably didn't do when they were your age, right? Like, we, we get it. We don't want it to feel like that. And so we're going to give you spaces. And, and, and my heart is going to always be, I'm going to call you up. I'm not going to speak down. Right, So my, I don't want to give you small truths or small things to obey. I want to give you big ideas to kind of grow into and think through, mostly because that's what I was given when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, and it helped shape my mind, not just my activity. Does it make sense? It helped me think, not just do. And it's really important that you learn to let God grow your mind and not just look at him like he's checking your list, like he's you know making his list and checking it twice all the time so you don't get in trouble. Um, it, it's, it's important to grow in our relational nature with God. And so what, what we've been doing is uh, we're kicking off high school, middle school fuse with a nine-week series called The Way. Super creative, right? Because we're talking about how Jesus is the way. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the truth, the life, the way, all those things. But, but Jesus is more um, than just like a good dude. He was more than a good teacher. He's more than just like a good vibes guy. He's more than just like an important piece of history that Jesus Christ himself is the way to life. And he, he talked about this. He taught people this. He shared this. People went around and, and told other people about this. And so for the last couple of thousand years, people just like this, whatever setting you're in, whatever room you're in, people just like this have been getting in rooms and they've been doing, you know, they may not have had lights and smoke machines and moving things and screens to project stuff up on, but you know, they had the Bible and they've had songs and they've had each other and they've had prayer and they've been doing a form of what we're doing for thousands and thousands of years. So although we're kind of cool, we didn't invent this, everybody's been doing this for a long time, they're doing this in all sorts of churches all over the place in every city. And so it's really cool. But what we're talking about is not just coming to church, 
not just becoming the young person that your mom and dad are super proud of, not just having a good reputation in town, not just being the one who achieves everything you ever set your mind to, not just being a good person, because everybody wants to do that. And being a good person is not bad, it's a good goal to have. But we are coming to understand that the things that Jesus said and taught and did are so much more than just this moral background for our life, that there are real practical things that it means to follow Jesus. And if you're like me or you're like some of us, we grew up in church and a lot of us grew up in church and we've been doing church things for so long that sometimes you can get caught up in the rhythm of doing church and you're not doing the Jesus thing. You're not doing bad stuff, right? Like if you are doing bad stuff, knock it off. But you're not doing bad stuff, you're just doing church stuff all the time. And, and it kinda, they kind of mix sometimes and you kind of it gets confusing. You don't really know like, is this just a part of what I'm supposed to do here at church and what I'm supposed to do here at youth group and what I'm supposed to do as a teenager or is this actually following Jesus, right? So that's what we're trying to get to. That's what this way series is all about and we're starting at the very basics. First week we talked about Jesus' birth, the story you've heard at Christmas and then then we talked about um, baptism which was amazing. We saw people get baptized, like shout out to everybody who got baptized this week. How encouraging is that to see your peers go public for their faith? Okay, by the way, one of the only things that Jesus like directly told us to do before he left was to baptize people. Like make disciples, teach people about me, teach them how to follow Jesus, and then baptize them. So when we see people getting baptized, especially your peers, it's a really, really, really big deal. So we want to continue to encourage next steps uh, and, and baptism specifically. And this week, grab a Bible if you have it. If you have it on your phone, open it up on your phone because I'm gonna be asking you some questions I need you to engage in with me. On whatever campus, if you're in the, chap, uh, the, the chapel over at Eastland, go ahead and grab one from the pew in front of you. Uh, if you're down in Florence, go ahead and tell Justin Rhodes to buy you a Bible because he's, he's, he's rich anyway, so he'll buy you one. And then um, we're gonna be turning in your Bible to Matthew chapter four. That makes sense because last week we were in Matthew chapter three. Guess where we'll be next week? <laughs> okay, wrong. <laughs> okay, you're gonna love next week, by the way. Um, one, of, one of our friends is preaching. You're gonna love it. His story is incredible. It's gonna be really encouraging to you. Bring If you have friends um, who are like really, 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 really far from God, bring them next week, okay? The guy who's preaching next week, you wanna hear his story, it, it, it'll encourage you so much. Okay, so Matthew chapter four. Somebody's already read this at your campus tonight. But um, before we get into I'm gonna read this scripture slowly. We're just gonna kind of talk through this. I, I wanna see... Um, if you have a Bible, mine, mine kind of has like things broken into paragraphs and then it has like a heading over each paragraph. So just kind of shout it out with me. What's, um, look at where Matthew chapter four starts. What's the heading over top of Matthew chapter four? What, what, what's Matthew chapter four, that first bit called? Okay, so think about this for a second. Before we get into it and we just kind of snap into, oh, we read the Bible because we're at church and that's what people at church do, they read the Bible. We're about to read about the temptation of Jesus. Now, this is why it's really important because I'm gonna get to the scripture here in a second. And I'm sorry, I got this new microphone and I really like it, but it feels a little weird on my ears. So I'm trying to make sure I kind of feel a little bit like I'm in a boy band or something. So I'm I'm working on it. Um, When we get to this scripture, Matthew chapter four, verse one, originally this wasn't like written and handed to like Bible people in chapters, okay? This was just like one thing. So we broke it up and so it kind of, it'd be easier to read and all that stuff. But when this is just one thing, the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four is one continuous idea. 
So I wanna read the end of chapter three again, where we read last week, to get us into the beginning of chapter four before we talk about the temptation of Jesus. Because there's something here that's really massive, and if we don't get it, and if it doesn't click in your mind, then the temptation of Jesus isn't really gonna do for you what you think it's gonna do for you. Because tonight's message is not just about the, the best top three ways that you can avoid temptation or that you can beat it, okay? We're gonna get to that. That's, that's definitely in this story and is very practical to us. Um, but one of the things that we found is right now on Sundays, our church is doing a series called Elephant in the Room, where we're talking about all the things that are, that are uh, like popular in culture right now. And this past Sunday, we talked about how popular and how dominating pornography is in our culture. And we talked about it with your moms and dads. And you wanna know why? Because a ton of marriages of students in our ministry are ruined by men and women who are tempted and get addicted to pornography. And it ends up causing them to have an affair and then their marriage ends and you're left to pick up the pieces and you don't know what to do or where to turn. And so the reason we are addressing that on Sunday with your mom and dad is the same reason here. Because temptation is a reality. Because every single one of us is not, none of us are immune to this reality. And so it's important for us to get to this. But before we jump into looking at um, how to overcome temptation, there's something at the end of chapter three that we gotta do a good job of looking at. So let's pick it up at the end of chapter three. And I'm gonna put this down so I can fix this microphone once and for all. And I'm also so sweaty from playing soccer. So anyway, all right. So let's pick up chapter three, verse 13. We read this last week. I just want to recap it really fast. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, John the who? Good, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, no, let it be so now for it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said this, God the father said this to Jesus, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, if this wasn't at the end of chapter three, if this was just kind of a continuous idea between three and four, here's how this would read right here. You ready? Um, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like if we didn't have a, a, a proper heading there to break it up and make it two pretty different paragraphs and it wasn't in like Microsoft Word and formatted correctly, if we were just getting this, the way Matthew kind of wrote these ideas down, here's what he says. Here's the idea that comes across. Jesus is baptized before he ever does any ministry, before he ever performs any miracles, before he's ever got these huge crowds following him. He's baptized to set an example for us. He receives the Holy Spirit that comes and rests on him like a dove. And God the Father looks at Jesus Christ and he says, this is my son who hasn't done anything yet, hasn't performed any miracles yet, isn't like a great big leader yet, like none of those things have happened yet. And this is my son and I'm very, very well pleased with him. And then... Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's why that's massively, massively important. Before Jesus even begins his ministry, a couple of things happen. God loves him and is pleased with him. He receives the Holy Spirit, and he's tempted by the devil before he ever does anything for God. Here's why it's really important for you. 
When I was learning to follow Jesus, first learning to follow Jesus, I was tempted all the time. Most, many, like most of you, it wasn't like anything crazy. It's normal 16-year-old boy and girl things that just like, just part of your phase of life, okay? Tempted all the time. And because I was a Christian, I just would feel so bad. Like, what am I doing to face this temptation? Why do I keep, why do I keep getting tempted all the time? Why do I keep feeling this way all the time? And then it's only after I understood this that I realized being tempted is not a sin. And there's no reason for you as a believer and follower of Jesus to feel shame in your life when you face temptation. In fact, I would argue that it's a pretty important piece of the journey when done correctly to face temptation. But what I also didn't realize is you can beat temptation. I just assumed, like, I'm just going to always be faced with the same temptations, fall victim to the same temptation, and I'm just going to be in cyclical sin my entire life until I just die and go to heaven one day, and then I get to heaven and I go, man, thank you, Jesus, for saving me because I could never figure it out. And that's fine, I guess, but that's not what Jesus said, and that's not how Jesus did. And in fact, Jesus came to show us that there's a better way. Jesus came to show us that there is something inside of you, the Holy Spirit who comes to, to fill you with power, who comes to teach you about Jesus, who comes to show you the way, who can empower you to overcome temptation. But we're going to look here in the Bible and we're going to see it's maybe not the way that you think. Because if you're like me and you're just kind of, let's just be honest, you're just kind of dumb like me, you're just kind of simple, every time I get to a new challenge in life, I just think, all right, let's do it, right? Just buckle up a little bit, put my boots on, and let's just get to work. That's just what we do, right? I don't, I don't, girls, I don't know if that's you, but like, guys, what, isn't that what we do? It's like, oh, it's a challenge. All right, this is great. I love challenges. What's the challenge? Math. Put my boots on, right? Like, that'll help. All right, what's, what's the challenge? I gotta build something. By the way, if I have to build anything for you, you are in bad shape, okay? I am the worst constructor. Ask my wife, okay? I build shelves and they fall off the, the walls in like 30 minutes. It's embarrassing. But what we're going to see is the model that's put forward is not this idea that we come up with here at Church in the South, which is, man, just do more. Work harder. Try harder. Be better. And you can just stop sinning. I wish. My gosh, as a teenager, my life would have been a lot easier. When I was first trying to figure out how to date and do the right thing, it would have been so much better off for me if I could have just stopped sinning. Right? And then, and honestly, I've probably been up here and been one of the preachers that puts a microphone on his face, gets all jacked up and says, hey, stop sinning. And then you go back, you're like, all right, great, I'm gonna stop sinning tonight. And then three hours later, what do you do? I'm tempted, fall victim to it, feel shame, continue in this downward spiral. But what Jesus shows here in this story is that before you ever did anything, God was pleased with you. Why? Why? Because Christianity is not about things that you have to do. It's about the one thing that Jesus has already done. It's not about this approval rating that you have to get from God. And if you get over a certain level and he likes you enough, then man, now I'm on the team. No, no, no. It's just done. It's finished. It's, it's, it's done. God can look at you because of what Jesus did on the cross. He can say, this is my daughter and I am pleased with her. And it's massively important that you get that before we look at overcoming temptation because if you don't, then when you fall victim to it and if you fall victim to it, it will start a cycle of shame in your life that is not supposed to be there. And Jesus shows us a better way. So Jesus says, he's, he's baptized, receives the Holy Spirit. God says, man, I love this kid. I'm so pleased with him. 
But God, he hasn't done anything yet, I know. But he's mine, and I love him, and I'm pumped about him. So before we engage in some of the maybe spiritual challenge tonight, know this, that before you ever did anything, God loved you and was pleased with you. In fact, he so loved you, he was so pleased with you, before you ever even knew what sin was to engage in it, before you ever even knew what that bad decision was that you keep making, before you ever had that decision, here's what the Bible says happened. God saw it, he sent Jesus, Jesus willingly took on the punishment for that, and then the Holy Spirit started working in your life to draw you to God, convince you of his kindness, and then you believed in Jesus. And it's all of those things that you thought was this big decision you were making, God was like, yeah, 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 actually, I saved that one because I loved him. And I saw him when I was making him, and he was in his mommy's belly, and I loved him then. And so I worked this whole thing out so he would get to high school and go, man, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. Because he loves you, and he's pleased with you. And then Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to him. And so let me just challenge you here. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, do you think you need the Holy Spirit? Okay, this is a really big deal because people want to disagree theologically, and that's fine. We can disagree theologically. What we can't disagree on is you will not white-knuckle your way into the kingdom of God. You cannot work hard enough to do the things that the Holy Spirit can do in your life. You can't. You can't accomplish it. Your flesh is not capable. So all of us need the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And so Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit of God leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So let's pick it up, Matthew chapter 4. Let's read this verse 1 now. And by the way, there's so much other stuff in chapter 3 that we didn't even get to read. So please go home at some point over the next couple of days and pour over Matthew chapter 3. Like John the Baptist being in there and him prophesying about all this sort of stuff. It is, it is amazing. If you, if you like, like to read the Bible and dig in that stuff at all, Matthew 3 is incredible. So is Matthew 4. The whole book of Matthew. Read the whole Bible. Okay. All right. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Because, duh. And the tempter came and said to him, now look here. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now I want to pause for a second. What did the devil say to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden at the beginning? Did God really say? See, the, the question of, did God actually say, that's the devil's easiest play. He, he, he plays it all the time. Did, did God actually say that's how you should be acting? You're like, oh, I don't know. Did God actually say, see, this is a different form of it. But he doesn't come to Jesus and try to attack him with something immediately. Like, he doesn't try to throw, like, spirit darts at him, all right? Like, Hollywood has a ridiculous idea of what, like, demons and the devil is and what spiritual warfare is. What the devil comes to Jesus and he, he immediately tries to get him to question his identity. He's going to run the same play on you. He's going to show up and he's going to say, okay, do you think that God really has that good of a plan for your future one day that you would not sleep with him or her now? Like, you, you, you really do think, like, marriage is like that? He, he's going to come to you. He's going to say, you, you really think you're going to, like, like, you really think it can be that good? Like, he's going to question your identity because he came straight at Jesus. But look at what Jesus does. And this is why I need you to have a Bible and bring a Bible because there's some really interesting things that get in here. So the tempter comes to him. He says, if you're the son of God, then just make these stones into bread. But Jesus looks right back at the devil after probably thinking, 
well, yeah, let's just, let's get this bread, right? Like, let's make this bread and let's eat this bread. I haven't eaten in 40 days. I'm starving. And he looks at the devil and he says this. And do you see, if you have a paper Bible, do you see how it's like a different paragraph? Right? This is a quotation from another part of the Bible. And there's a little letter there. In my Bible, it's the letter G. So just how to read the Bible 101, okay? Follow me here. If you see that letter G, I go down to the bottom of my Bible and I find where that letter G is. And it's right here. And it says, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So what Jesus says to the devil is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, what is that? Just like a good statement? Is that like the how to beat the devil phrase, like memory verse? It's like the secret bunny in the hat, you know, or is that right? Bunny in the hat trick? Like you have to know that one verse. Well, what is that? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter, I know this is boring to you, but you need to know that this is how good the Bible is. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter eight and you read that verse, what you see is Deuteronomy chapter eight is when the Israelites had just come out of slavery and God's given them like the blueprint on how to win forever. And here's what he says. Deuteronomy chapter eight. Um, He humbled you, he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know. Why? So that he could make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And what Jesus does is when he's tempted from the devil to question his identity, is he references hundreds of years ago the way that God told his people to proceed in life. He doesn't just quote a Bible verse. He doesn't just say like, oh man, I gotta know every word of scripture if I don't wanna sin. No, no, no. He reminds himself of the huge story of God. That how could I possibly forget that God has delivered these people from slavery? He's worked all of these miracles. He's done all of this. Why would I stop trusting him now? And in a second, Jesus just has all of this going on in his soul. The whole history of God's people, the whole everything that God had done. He just recalls it and he goes, no, 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 wait a minute. Devil, you're an idiot. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Lives off everything God says. Devil's like, all right, want nothing, Jesus. So he asks him another question, okay? Let's go back to the question. So here's what he says. So the devil takes him to the holy city, which was what city? Jerusalem, good. He sits him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says to him, if you're the son of God, questions his identity again, go ahead and throw yourself down, boss. And then the devil uses scripture to come at Jesus, which if you don't think the devil's an idiot, he tried to beat Jesus by using scripture. Anyway, well, that's, maybe that's over yet. Okay, here we go. Um, because if, if you're the son of God, then, then God will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He quotes other things that God had said to try to go, hey, hey, yeah, remember Jesus? Like God said this about the son of God. If you're the son of God, then all this stuff will happen. And Jesus says to him, yeah, 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 I get that. But again, it was written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, I see another letter there, so I come down here and I see, oh, that's Deuteronomy chapter six. So right before that, when they're getting these instructions, this is what Jesus is recalling in this moment. He's like, man, God has been taking care of his people for thousands and thousands of years. Why would I try to just throw myself over here and put him to the test? That's stupid. And so the devil's probably, side note, not gonna tempt you to throw yourself off of your house tonight. If he does, pretty easy no there, right? But he's gonna tempt you with something. There's gonna be something that your carnal, fleshy thing is gonna desire and he's gonna come at you with it. And you don't have to just recall the perfect Bible verse or let me sing this right song or let me say the right prayer. No, no, no. You need to remind yourself of the whole story of God. Remind yourself of everything that God's been doing and working in your life for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, so last one that he says. Again, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to him, All of these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, 
Be gone, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then look what happens. Verse 11. Read verse 11 out loud. Read it out loud. Then the devil left him. Can I just, can I put a little bit of power? Can I put a little bit of encouragement? Can I put a little bit of challenge into your soul tonight? Do you know that you have infinitely more power than the devil? Do you know that one of the only tactics of the devil is to convince you that he's bigger than he is and that you're smaller than you are? Everything that he has is a mind game. Because if he can get you to believe something about God that's not true, you won't fall in love with him. You won't obey him. And if he can get you to convince you about something that's not true about you, then you'll believe something about yourself that's detrimental to your development into who God wants you to be. And so when following Jesus, you're going to be faced with temptation. And it is crucial to remind yourself when you do of these things. Of the fact that God for hundreds and hundreds of years has been working miracle after miracle after miracle. And you don't have to get to a place where you're so desperate that you forget, man doesn't live off bread alone. It's not my body, I don't, there's, my body is more, my life is more than just the food that I eat, the things that I say. And so Jesus defeats the devil in temptation over and over and over again, and then the devil leaves. And so I wanna encourage you, because as we're talking to moms and dads, 40, 50, 60 year old men and women in our church, like tens of thousands of them who haven't figured out that you can actually beat temptation, that you don't have to fall victim to porn every time it knocks on your door, that sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and feeling like you can't stop doing that, you can absolutely stop doing that. And again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of what your flesh feels. I get it, I, I understand all that, I promise. But I'm telling you right now, one of our jobs in equipping you, the saints, is to empower you with the confidence that the Holy Spirit inside of you has, can and will do the same thing for you that it did for Jesus. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna read one more verse of scripture. Bands, you can come up. And then we're gonna take a few minutes. We're gonna pray. Because I've been praying for a handful of people. I've been thinking about this today. And I, the last thing that I wanted, okay, the last thing that I want when we're talking about temptation is for anybody to feel like beat up or discouraged, or any of that, because that's not even the point of this text, okay? When you're reading Matthew chapter four, nowhere in there should I read that and think like, I gotta yell at somebody and get them to like stop doing bad stuff. That's not the point of it at all. But I wanna read to you um, some encouragement from James, who was hanging around with a lot of these people when all this was happening, and he writes a letter to us. I wanna read some encouragement to you for you to put in your pocket and carry with you as you're following Jesus, okay? So if you have your Bible, turn over to the book of James, Chapter four, I'm gonna read a couple of verses of scripture um, and then I want to, to pray for you. Let's pick it up in chapter four, verse seven. Uh, is that right? I'm looking at that, that doesn't look right. James, oh yeah, sorry, I was reading James five. I was like, that's not the verse I sent to the team. Okay. Let me read it to you, James chapter four, verse seven. Um, this is something that until the last few years of my life, I didn't understand. I, I understood, I could tell you the right thing in my mind, but I didn't practice any of it. And so I'm gonna show you now as a man who by the grace of God, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in close communion with God, has learned at least better than I did five years ago, 10 years ago, how to overcome temptation 
Let me show you this. Okay, James chapter 4 is a warning against worldliness, which is just this carnal desire to just please yourself all the time. Okay, here it is, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. And then it says this. I wonder where he got this idea. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So I want you to hear a promise in the text for your life. Because I don't know where you stand. I don't know what you know. I don't know what you grew up with. The devil is real. He does not like you. He does have plans to destroy your walk with God. He does have plans to wipe your future out. He does have plans to ruin your future marriage. He wants your life to be terrible. He doesn't want you to get out of the town you're in. He doesn't want you to grow beyond anything your family's ever done. He doesn't want any of the good things that God wants. He doesn't want any of that. He wants to thwart God's plan for your life any way that he can. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't let the Holy Spirit of God fill you with power and fill you with confidence in your identity and the fact that God loves you and is pleased with you, you will be tempted to just buckle up, flex, and try to beat the devil. And if you play that game, you lose. If you try to just flex on the devil, you lose. And I see people trying to do that. I see people just, man, I'll just... You know, just hold me accountable, dog. I'm going to be good. I'm going to starve the flesh, right? Like, that's what I'm going to do. No, you're not. Here's what it says. Here's how you do it. You submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And then here's the other secret. This is the biggest part. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. The reason it's so important for you to understand that God was pleased with you before you ever did the right thing or didn't do the right thing, the reason it's so important for you to understand the finished work of Jesus is because if you don't think God wants to draw near to you, you'll never come close to him. You will let shame keep pushing you further and further and further away, and you'll think, man, at some point, it's just going to snap into place, and me and God are going to be good. No, you're not. You've got this thing called shame, and it's trying to eat your soul. It's trying to do all it can to make you feel bad about the things that you do, feel bad about the things that you think, to make sure that no part of you wants to draw anywhere near to God. And James is saying, no, 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 listen, that's when you need to get super close to him. Because he'll draw close to you and you'll see him for who he is and you'll, you'll feel the way he feels about you and you'll go, wait, wait, wait. I remember that because of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, that God was pleased with me before I ever did anything. That the Bible says that before, uh, that while I was still a sinner, that Christ died for me. That the Holy Spirit is the one that drew me to God and regenerated my heart in the first place. So what I can do is I can just draw near to God. And the Bible says he'll draw near to me. So here's what it says. He'll draw near to you. Okay, and then it, then it gets kind of challenging here with like a little bit of tough language. But tough love's good. And then we get to verse 10. It says, clean your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You double-minded, you people that just jump all over the place. Be, and then, and then now, now, now think about the difference in these next words and the idea that you can just grit it and fight it and just flex and just like be a good person and just like stop sinning all the time. You'll just like overcome temptation. No, no, no. Look at what James says who has learned the secret of overcoming temptation. Here's what he says. Not just, not just like buckle up, hit the gym, do the squats, and then fight this. No, no. He says be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning let your joy be turned to gloom what's he saying here what he's saying is put off the facade quit trying to fake it all the time quit trying to convince everybody but that you're the one person who's not tempted and trying to fight this carnal fleshy thing that wants to do everything that you want to do all the time 
He's saying, quit playing the game. And if we can't come here and be with other believers who, by the way, the person to your left and to your right is fighting the same fight that you're fighting, to be filled with the Spirit, to trust God, to believe what He says about me, and thus not to please my flesh and not to live by the things of the flesh. If we can't do this, and and He's not saying just like show up and feel good and sing your song and you'll beat the devil. He's saying, no, 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 weep over this. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Let your laughter be turned to mourning at the fact that you're tempted all the time and it's hard to overcome. This creates deep empathy in your heart for the people that sit at your lunch table because you realize they're not just a bad person, they're fighting a serious fight. And this allows you to show up to get on the bus in the morning and there's a weight to your conversations because you might be the only Christian there and that doesn't mean you're just the one doing all the good things. That means you're looking at other people and you're like, man, The devil is wearing them out. Weep. Like when we talk about, man, let God break your heart for your school and for your friends. I'm not just saying like, hey, go find the people doing the worst stuff and then make them come to church so we can get them to stop doing bad stuff. What we're trying to say is, if they don't know the gospel good news, if they don't have, they're not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then the devil is wrecking their shop and it should make us weep. That they wake up in the morning and people are killing themselves all over the place because they're going, what's the point of life? There's no hope anywhere. And we're going, what do you mean? The work is finished. Jesus has done it. It's God was pleased with you. He loves you. He has a great plan for your life. The devil's just walking around tricking people all over the place. And it says, stop playing the game and start letting your heart be torn up about this. And then he says this, verse 10. Humble yourself before God and he'll exalt you. So listen, new cultural expectation. Don't come to Fuse and feel like you just need to smile all the time. If things are going great and God is blessing your soul and you got nothing but a song of praise on your heart, then get here and open your mouth and just sing the whole time. Even while nobody else is singing, just start singing. But if you're in this fight and you're trying to overcome temptation and it's challenging and I know you're here with all your friends and y'all spend all day at school talking about something else, Now is not the time for you to just do the stuff you do all day. Now is the time when the believers get around the word of God, sing songs, get filled with the spirit of God, and we go, hey, God, I need you to work on my heart because I've been winning the battle, I've been beating the devil, I've been overcoming temptation. But when Jesus beat the devil, he went and took a break and the angels came and ministered to him. And I just, I need some help right now because I'm weary and I'm tired and I'm the only one in my school that doesn't do all this stuff. And I'm the only one that seems like they're trying to make some progress. And let's just be honest. It's hard to be the only one in your circle that feels like you're trying to do anything positive. So don't show up and pretend like it's all good. Show up and say, hey, man, can you pray for me? Bro, that's weird. We hung out all day. I know, but I was faking all day. And the Spirit of God's got me right, and I just need you to pray for me. And when we go to do invitation time, we say, hey, let's, let's sing some songs like, Don't leave here until you get filled up, until God does something and and like encourages you. Don't just stand there and go, man, it would be really nice if somebody could pray for me. Go ask somebody. Say, hey, I I don't know you, but I need you to pray for me because I have a girlfriend and I love her deeply and I'm trying to do right by her and we're trying to really pursue God. And it is hard, man. Can you pray for us? You say, look, I'm, I'm on the cheerleading team and, and I thought I was gonna do, I thought God was sending me there as like a light, right? Like a city on a hill. And I got there and I'm telling you, my flesh is going crazy and it's everything inside of me not to just say those things and look at those things and go do those things just to fit in. I'm killing, I'm, I'm about to die. Can you please pray for me? 
Let's just, let's, let's take the encouragement from James. Let's know what God feels about us so we'll draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. Let's humble ourselves so God will lift us up, man. This is us. And there are people that you love deeply who don't know the hope of the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they need you to show them what to do. They don't just need you to come to Fuse and like it and fake it and go back to school. They need God to wreck you, man. Like you need to show up to school tomorrow and people be like, what the heck did y'all do at Fuse last night? You're like, I don't know, I started praying and God just tore me to shreds. And all I could think is, man, I just see you. It seems like, it seems like the devil just whoops your butt all the time. I'm being serious. Like this is, the, this is the future of the good news of Jesus Christ making its way out. And it's dependent on whether or not you and I are brave enough to do what it says. Just, let's just humble ourselves and let God exalt us. So let's pray. Here's what I want to do. Every campus, everybody, I want to pray. First people I want to pray for is I want to pray for people that you have been just absolutely getting worked over with temptation. Like, it's just been, it's just been really difficult. I mean, you don't have to, I'm not asking you to like embarrass yourself or anything like, but you're just like, bro, I have been so tempted and my flesh is going crazy and I need some encouragement. I need some prayer. I need somebody to pray for me. If that's you on every campus, whatever campus you're on, will you just lift your hand so we can pray for you? All right, leave your hand up. And I want everybody to look around and if somebody has their hand up, then I want you to go put your hand on their shoulder and I want you to start praying for them. And I want you to encourage them. I want you to speak life over them. I don't want anybody to be having, to have their hand up and not be getting prayed for by a bunch of people. You don't have to, look, everybody with a hand up gets prayed for. Just pray for them. Just encourage them. You can do this. And I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna turn it over to every campus and we're gonna sing a little bit. And I wanna ask you, I wanna challenge you, I wanna beg you to be brave enough to get out of the next few minutes what you need out of the next few minutes. If you need to confess some things to God, if you need to lay on your face and let the Holy Spirit of God just turn your heart upside down for the people that are in your life and in your class, then please be brave enough to humble yourself and draw near to God because he will draw near to you. So God, will you just bless this time? Encourage these young people, encourage these, these leaders, these students that are, that are desperately filled with the Spirit of God, desperately trying to walk in the ways of Jesus, that are desperately trying to impact their class, to impact their schools. God, I pray that you would fill them with encouragement, that the Holy Spirit would come right now and would just flood their hearts, God, with the confidence that they were loved by you before they ever did a thing that you're pleased with them, you love them, you're pumped about their future, you have good plans for them. And God, I pray that we would be brave enough to humble ourselves, that Holy Spirit, you would help us die to this need to feel cool, that you would help us die to this need to feel like we gotta be seen and we gotta do something, but we would actually just get in line with who you are and what you've called us to. God, we bless you. Thank you for this time. Over these next few minutes, will you come and join us in Jesus' name, amen.